Welcome to Drive Time Marketing. This is where we talk to marketers about what they're doing today to drive results. Drive Time Marketing is sponsored by M Partners. All the tools, resources, and flexibility of a big agency, all the attention and creativity of a boutique shop. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Drive Time Marketing, tips, tricks, and tools to bring your marketing to new and great destinations. I'm Julia Carcamo, and joining me today is Brandon Cox. Brandon is a fan of tacos, great leadership, useless trivia, language, pop culture, passport stamps, good deeds, and a fully charged iPhone, something I can get behind. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, Brandon is a publicist with an eye for innovation and a passion for emerging ways to communicate. Um, And we've been talking a lot lately about telling stories, and I want to share that with our listeners. Hey, Brandon. Hey, how are you? Thank you for having me on. Oh, thank you for making the time. Anytime, Um, anytime. (laughs) So let me start with something I thought was interesting about the perspective you bring to projects. Um, We've talked about being, you've talked about being a lifetime new kid. What what is Mm -hmm. that? And, And how has it shaped you as a PR professional? Uh, I would say, so growing up, my parents moved pretty much every two years until I was about 17. So I went to countless schools, countless elementary, junior highs and high schools. And so it gives you a lot of trial and error on making friends and making enemies. Um, and so I think part of that has kind of shaped my idea of never being comfortable in one thing. Um, but always looking to see what works in other scenes and other scenarios. Because going to school to school to school, you learn that the people are still the same people. It's just little nuances of that city, that community, that that school that you have to adjust to. Similar to a job, right? If you're going into a marketing job, you're going to be doing marketing. However, the nuances of that in, of that particular building or that particular brand is what you have to adjust to. So bring the things that work and drop the things off that don't. Um, so constantly always being that new kid of, about what's worked and what hasn't, I try to bring into whatever project I'm working on. Well, I guess that's your, that was the beginning of your uh, skill set as the publicist, right? Getting to know everybody, making friends. Yes. I had to make enemies first, unfortunately. Um, so part of it is <laughs> you, you start learning as a kid because you're just so used to you know how you do things. Um, after a while, you just get tired of, you know, not making friends. Um, and eventually as being a public is the most important thing for you is to be liked. Um, because if people don't like you, they're not going to want to work with you. And long gone are the days where we have the benefit of you have to work with someone. There are so many different media outlets. There's so many different voices. There's so many different places for your message to get out. You need to be liked or at least respected by those people that you work with. And you need to find a way to beat them where they are. Uh, and no matter if that's you know, socially, professionally, et cetera, you need to have a connection with them. And it doesn't mean you have to be fake or anything like that, but it means that you have to be genuine in wanting to do the work and wanting to make these connections. So that leads me to a thought. You and I were doing some uh, discussion prior to starting the recording, and you said a very interesting thing to me about the messenger mattering over the message. Yes. Uh, This is a new revelation. (laughs) Part of that new kid thing. Um, I'm a huge fan of pop culture, and I think that um, 
uh, we've always talked a lot about human behavior. And I think that that's the most important thing in terms of how we market things. What is the human behavior and what is expected of them? And are we asking them to do something that they're not used to doing? And I look at how storytelling plays a role in that. And for like it, for good or for bad, let's look at the elections of the of the past, you know, eighteen months, where you had a you had two distinct messengers with very different messages, um, and it didn't matter what one of the messengers said. And if I look throughout history over all of the great orators of our time, can we really? Can anyone really give me what Martin Luther King's "I Have a Dream" speech was about? Can anyone give me anything that Gandhi said other than something that you read on Instagram? Can anyone give me anything that JFK really said other than, you know, some of his remarks, you know, during whether it's a Cuban Missile Crisis or something? We remember orators and messengers for who they are, a lot less for what they say, because they make you feel something. And if you look at from the idea of PR, we've gotten so much about message matters, stay on message, stay on message, stay on message. But I think the more we ping on message, the more we lose authenticity. And if you look at the elections, clearly messenger mattered more than message. And I think that if we start looking at that and giving our messengers the freedom to be more authentic and to not have to say everything so perfectly, I think we might find that there's a better way to tell our story that's more authentic to the consumer because they might find something better for themselves and they might find more value in it if their messenger does slip up and they do appear to be more human or, 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 or more. They might curse. They might say something that's not in the script. I think that there might be more value that than we're leading on to be. But there, there is a point where they mess up a little too poor, badly, right? I mean, I, I remember here in New Orleans, in the Gulf Coast area, when the BP spill happened, I mean, that messenger couldn't have been worse. I mean, he just he just seemed to keep messing up and messing up, and, and it felt like there was nothing BP was going to be able to do to get out of that PR nightmare. Absolutely. There is a level, there's definitely variance to that. And again, I think we want authenticity. If you look at something like BP, wasn't he like racing boats at the time of the spill? Um, or, or somewhere, uh, you know, we want to be authentic. We want to have the authenticity. And I think that being on message is important, but I think before, as we build our message, it's just as important to find important messengers to be that vessel. And those messengers need to be authentic to what that message is. They need to believe in it and they need to have, they need to convey it because it's because you're trying to build that emotional connection with your consumer. And it's just like a relationship, right? If your friend says something that you don't necessarily agree with, you'll give them the benefit of the doubt because you like them. Mm-hmm. But when it's somebody you don't like, the second they say something you don't, you don't agree with, then you're going to write them off the island because you've already lost that emotional connection. There's no reason to give you the benefit of the doubt. So I think as we start building our message, our message, our messenger is just as important that they need to be authentic, they need to believe in it, and we need to give them the freedom to talk in their language about what that message is. Because sometimes we might be too close to the message and we might be distilling it down too much to try to make it too, too simple, uh, too much academia, too focus tested, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it seems like for companies, you probably should be ready to have more than one messenger because to your point, they need to have passion for the message. And, you know, if you have only one spokesperson, they might not be as passionate about one particular message as maybe somebody else down the 
you know, executive food chain might be. Absolutely. And I think that's the beauty of social media is that it's giving, it's allowed companies to have a, a human face uh, outside of your traditional marketing, marketing executive, executive board, spokesperson angle. It's allowed brands to have that human interaction on a day-to-day, on a day-to-day basis to a point where you get more, you get a faster response time from an airline going on Twitter or Facebook than you ever would making a phone call. because that gives you so much more personal gratification that someone's talking back to you. Yeah. So I think, and part, and part of, I think what it is, is empowering your people to make decisions that give them the tools to speak on behalf of the brand. So you have to also entrust the people who you are, whether it's your social media team or whether it's your executives, really do the work in building out what that message is and what does that message look like in the consumer space so you give them the power to make decisions to help execute on that message because your your message is only as good as how you deliver it to the consumers, right? So you have to be able to live up to that consumer promise. So give your people, your spokespersons, whether you've got one of them or whether you have 15 of them, give them the tools that they need to execute on that, on that consumer promise. Because the second that you don't, you've lost that consumer. And we know that it's a lot cheaper to keep a customer than to lose a customer. Absolutely. So do what you have to do and empower your people uh, in, in your organization to make those decisions, whether they're on the social media side or whether they're in front of a camera. Give them the tools to speak intelligently and understand how does that look in a practical sense? Because a brand promise looks great, but when a customer needs a refund or if a customer needs results, what does that look like in practice? And, and how are we giving our people tools to be able to actually use that? I'm going to ask you a question that uh, might be a little hard to answer. You're an agency guy. You have your own agency now, Ever After. Mm -hmm. And some companies opt to have an agency be their messenger as opposed to somebody from the company. What's your opinion on that? I think it depends on the organization. Um, I've worked with companies where they are not in a situation to be the best spokespersons for themselves because there's a, this, the organization's a lot heavier and they have a lot more needs internally on selling things internal, getting things done that from a consumer's focus standpoint, they need someone else to be there who's a lot closer to the consumer outside ex- consumer industry and outside expectations of what that looks like. Um, I think it varies, it varies situation to situation, organization to organization. But if you are going to rely on an agency, again, you need to implore them. They need to be the extensions of you. You need to act as if they have the same domain in their email as you do. And they're responsible for that consumer message just as much as you are. So if you are entrusting them with that, you have to be ready to give them the tools they need to be successful. And you need to include them in the planning process. You need mm-hmm. to include them in all of those those key moments, uh, so that they're fully they're they're fully dressed with the, with the, with what they need when they're going out on behalf of you. What do you think? You know, I I, I agree. I there are some situations where I have and and I have an agency myself. So there are some situations where I wouldn't allow an agency to. Um, play the role of the business because the business may have not opened their 
books, so to speak, fully. And I think that you do have to be in complete um, lockstep. You have to have that agency person needs to be as welcome at your executive committee meetings as they are in front of the podium speaking to the press. Absolutely. It, yeah. You are absolutely right. Is there's a certain level of transparency you need to have, right. and you need to and you need to be ready to give if you're going to have people going out on behalf of you. Because at the end of the day, if the message doesn't translate or if something goes wrong, they don't care about what the agency name was. They care about what was the brand they were mm-hmm. representing. So you're putting that, your brand at stake. And I think also you have to give that agency person the ability to to move quickly and not have to check every single thing. And, and that yeah. agency person has to have that ability to make that judgment as to what needs to go back to, you know, home base for clearance first. And a big part of that is trust. And yeah. that, and that's what it all boils down to is working with your agency in a close capacity so that you trust that they can act on behalf of you and they trust that they aren't going to be hampered by the internal politics that are going on within your organization that may keep you from being able to make those decisions or acting just as nimble or swift as they are. So I think it's a, it's a trusting that you have to always work on. And again, through trial and error, you'll, you'll get there, but it's super important that you trust your agency. And again, your agency is only going to be as good as the people that are managing them. So give them the tools. It takes work on your end to make sure you built that trust to give them the tools. So, your bosses aren't calling you saying, hey, what is this report that I'm seeing? What is this comment that I'm seeing? Uh, what, what is this response that I'm seeing? This is not what we, did, we, we talked about. By the way, nice move turning the tables and asking me the question. <laughs> I'm, I'm, genuinely, I'm genuinely curious because it's, I, I only work in my own capacity, so I'm always curious about how other people yeah. think about it because I know how I think about it. But, you know, we all work in very different capacities, different organizations, different structures. So I'm always asking questions of, of, of other people like, hey, what do you guys think about this? Because, hell, I know I don't have all the answers. I only have two of them. <laughs> so now you have a new project on your plate that I love. I've told you a couple of times about this, but you and some of your friends have started a new podcast called Secured the Bag. <laughs> Yeah. So having just gone now into my first year of doing this podcast, I have to ask what made you decide to do this and what ex- the experience has been like for you? Uh, so the genesis of it was we wanted some, some friends of myself, uh, friends of mine who come from different ones in, in sports marketing. I myself am, am in PR and brand marketing, another friend who works uh, in athletics. We always talk about some of, the the context behind pop culture and the stories that are within pop culture. And there's such a, we always focus on the headline. And sometimes there's so many more deeper stories under the headline uh, that we think that are so much cooler. So we want to have a platform to talk about that. And as marketers, I'm we're always so quick to criticize other people for the content they put out. But very seldom are we doing the, the work of putting out our own content. Mm-hmm. So this was actually a challenge to ourselves. It's like, hey, let's actually practice what we preach. And instead of just always recommending stuff for other people, let's put it on the table for ourselves and let's do it. Now, it's very non-traditional. It's not safe for work. We curse and we, we're, we definitely take some irreverent, some irreverent tangents. Uh, however, 
for for us, it's therapeutic because it's a way for us to to get out our voice um, and really try to attach things from a uh, from a side of the business we don't think is is talked about. So we'll look at things like um, Kanye West canceled his tour recently. So let's talk about the realities of what uh, insurance costs is on what insurance costs on a tour. What does it cover? How much does it cover? And while we're talking about that, let's look at all of the crazy things that have been insured. From celebrities, you know, whether it's America Ferrara's $1 million smile insurance or whether it's uh, Lloyd's of London refusing, uh, refusing the Foo Fighters claim after the London terrorist attacks. Let's look at all of that and see how it plays into the bigger zeitgeist of things and try to find out what are those connection points between what's the headline and what are some of those cool stories that are happening underneath. And one of the things we're getting into for Labor Day is we're talking to a really good friend of mine who's an MIT grad about um, credit card loyalty points and like how to really attack loyalty points and how to get the most out of that. Because we talk a lot about credit cards and credit, things like that, but we don't really talk about like, what's the best way to do it. And what's, how can you go from having a 500 credit score to going to Antigua for free on credit card points? And so we talked to some MIT, we talked to some MIT grads about the numbers behind it and how to do it. And so it's just things like that. Well, I'm definitely going to listen to that one. Um, so I have to ask you a question that you, uh, all three of you ask each other at the end of your podcast Tell me something you didn't know. Ooh, I did not know that Amazon slashed the prices of Whole Foods day one of taking on ownership. And I wanted to ask you, what did you think about that? And does that diminish Whole Foods brand equity? Being that they've always been positioned kind of as a luxury grocer, having Amazon come in and cut cut prices a la Walmart and, and very vocally promoting that. What would you what do you think of that? I think it um opens up their market a lot because I think that there is a there is a certain brand equity in the luxury end of the pricing sphere, but I also think that Whole Foods still has the brand um that is about good food and good things for you and fresher things. And to make them more approachable to a greater majority is the target target mantra, right? Mm-hmm. I think that it's going to help them a lot. I don't think it's going to, I think they, I don't think they're going to lose customers because they're charging less. <laughs> 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 I think they're going to get more customers because they're charging less. I think I, I actually saw the headline today and said, I think I'm going to go down to Whole Foods and see what I, I, for, I honestly thought that. I was like, hey, I'm going to go down to Whole Foods, but I, I do love a fully charged iPhone and I don't have one because I'm waiting on a replacement phone. So I basically have honkered myself down uh, into my home until FedEx shows up with my phone. But other than that, I would have went to Whole Foods because I actually want, I, I'm the guy who goes to Black Friday. I go out every Black Friday. I go out whenever there's big cultural moments. I want, like, I want to talk about it. I want to be. I want to see what people are buying. I want to see how people respond to it because consumer behavior to me is the most fascinating part of marketing. And being a part of those moments, whether it's iPhone launches, whether it's a new game console, whether it's Amazon slashing prices uh, from marketing, I want to go and check that out because for me, that's that's free focus testing. 
I want to see what people are buying. I want to see how people respond to it. And I'm also just really curious about it because I think it's such a bold move um, and it's so unexpected. And it just makes you think of what does Amazon really have planned for the future grocery stores? I think that's great. So my thing that I didn't know was I didn't know you go to Black Friday. So. <laughs> Oh, I haven't. I, I haven't missed a black. I missed one Black Friday in the past eight years. Oh my! Oh my! I'm going every, I go every. I go out every Black Friday. Sometimes I go really early, like you know the seven, eight a.m., six, seven a.m. I've done that before. Now I tend to go a little bit later in the in the morning, probably like around ten or eleven, um, just to see because I just I love the culture of it. Like I just love that that consumer rush, that consumer demand. Like I. I used to wait in line for iPhones. I've waited in line for sneakers. I'm not one of those people that's like, I won't wait in line. Like, I actually enjoy waiting in line. I think that that's part of like, that's what drives that consumer desire. And if we could tap into that, like, what are the things that motivates people? If somebody's going to wait three hours for a product. What is it about that product? Are they waiting for a product or are they waiting for a price? Yeah. How do we start some of that desire and some of that want into the things that we're marketing, into the things that we're doing? We can't do it one-to-one. But, you know, again, it's free focus testing. And it's really, really interesting to me just to see how, what motivates people to buy, what motivates people to do things. Is there an emotional connection to it? And how do we, how do we bridge that emotional connection? You know, there's a reason why people wait outside for iPhones every year for a thousand dollars. Year after year after year. Why is that? I definitely. I definitely see that, that new kid in you just exploring and looking and, figuring things out. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's an awesome time to, it's an awesome time to be a consumer. Yeah. I think it's such an awesome time to be a consumer because the world's your oyster. Between Yelp, I mean, your voice has never been louder between Yelp, between the internet, between Facebook, between social media, etc. Like your power as a consumer is incredible and <laughs> brands are breaking their back to sell you stuff. And it's some of the most genius marketing that we've seen in a long time. So, you know, to be on the cusp of that and to look at, look at it from a consumer perspective, I think it's, it's super fun. Well, Brandon, as usual, our conversation has been just enlightening and creative and fun. Um, but before we go, we ask our guests to give our listeners one tip, trick, or tool that they can put into use today. What do you have to contribute? One trick or tip or tool to Hmm. That's a really good question. I would say, and it sounds super cliche and super dumb, but just write notes. Yeah. I write I, notes. I, I do that constantly. I have my notebook always with me. Yeah. It's made so much. I used to carry an iPad and I used to type things in, but it would start getting bundled up into my email and it will start getting pushed aside, 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 aside. Starting writing notes is probably increase my productivity a lot more. I don't have a quantitative. We're still waiting for the focus group test to come back on that. Um, mainly my mainly my clients uh, to see just how much more productive that's made me. Um, but it's allowed me to jog my energy a lot easier. And it's allowed me, uh, and one thing I do is I make, I have a small notebook for each project. So that way I don't confuse the different projects and the different clients. So that way I know I'm going to a meeting about this. I just bring in this notebook and I know all of my notes are there and I don't have to worry about seeing another project or another client come up in between pages. Um, so that's one thing that I've done that's been, uh, that's been super helpful. Um, and then also, you know, look to see what other people are doing. 
You know, yeah. sometimes you sometimes it's not about reinventing the wheel. It's just about adapting the wheel for your business. Look what's working. Look what other competitive competitive industries are doing, and um, and you know, see what works there and see how yeah. how it can work for you. Sometimes it's not about and sometimes not about inventing. It's just about innovating, and it's just yeah. about taking what's already worked and seeing how it could work for you. I have a question for you though before we go. Okay. I'm listening. What's your favorite super what's your favorite Super Bowl commercial? Oh my gosh. You know of the I, most recent, not of all time, but like recently that you can remember. What's a Super Bowl ad that's really impacted you? Because I'm very curious of, about the effectiveness of, of Super Bowl ads in today's digital age and can and and what do people remember? Which ads do they remember? I um used to partner with um a young lady named Debbie Lasky on doing the Super Bowl ad reviews. We did them for a few years straight. I might include the links in the show notes, but um, we always did the same thing. You know, which ones did we like? Which ones did we think were going to move the needle? And I have to tell you that my all-time favorite was a little, I love the Budweiser ads. I do not drink beer, (laughs) you know, much less Budweiser, but I love the Budweiser ads when when they are emotional. They just bring this, this essence to the top. And I think that it, it creates a memory for you and you sort of imprint yourself onto that commercial. And I remember the um, one that was done after nine 11, where the Clydesdales bowed down. Oh gosh, now I'm tearing up <laughs> and you could see the, the remnants of the, of the building in the back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I, and I also love the one. That was a where hell the, of a spot. And I also love the one where the little puppy wanted to be a Clydesdale because <laughs> I thought he was. A- <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think those, you know, I I think about that often. Though um, I think about, you know, who's making money off these Super Bowl ads other than the network, um, and and you know, um, the beauty is when when the advertisers really create something that is. Um, relevant, something that's timely and something that really connects with you. I think the tragedy is when somebody wastes the money and doesn't really create. A, I think that it's a Super Bowl. You need to have a Super Bowl of commercials. You can't just <laughs> you yeah. can't just phone it can't in. Phone that that in. <laughs> exactly. I you mean, can't take the old. You can't take the old, the old creative that you were going to use in February, but the budget got cut, and then you're just like, oh, we'll just use it next year for the Super Bowl ad. You need to have, you need to have your A game on. You need I to mean, have I guess A I should, game. I guess I should have said my favorite Super Bowl commercial was the Win Las Vegas pre-opening commercial. <laughs> <laughs> but see that that but see that was one of the first TV spots that I had the pleasure of working in and around. Um, and I've, and, and then TV obviously was a much bigger component of your, of your marketing mix back then, um, for, for launching a, launching a hotel property. But it's very interesting now with the digital age, I'm always thinking about, Hey, that's the biggest proof point for TV for us. Is it still resonating? Is it still working? And I think there's still some I've run into people and they they still remember that win commercial, which is amazing to me. But you know, oh, absolutely. absolutely. And the story behind it is like the the why and the how is just as impressive as the what to me. And right. I think that that's 
in terms of everything that we're doing, the why and the how is just as important as the what. You know, I yeah. think it's why DVD commentaries are important. It's why we watch Chopped. It's why we watch Anthony Bourdain. It's why we watch all these other things because we're fascinated by the inner workings of things. And I think it's cool from a marketing perspective. We could tell those stories a lot easier and for free now. So, you know, that's me. That was my question. I was just always curious. Like, what is your favorite Super Bowl moment? Uh, interesting. I wouldn't um, pick that one, but so, for you, I wouldn't pick that one for you. I'm surprised by that, but not <laughs> when you explain. Now I'm like, okay, that actually makes sense. Yeah. So tell us how our listeners can find you. So you can find me uh, across social media on. So my agency account is at Ever After. That's at E V E R A F T E R uh, Agency A G E N C Y on Twitter and uh, Twitter and Instagram. And personally at Dabnis, D-A-B-N-I-S-B-R-I-C-K-E-Y underscore on Twitter and in Instagram. So that everyone's like, what is Dabnis Bricky? What is Dabnis Bricky? So Dabnis Bricky was a character that was created uh, on the Cosby show. He was a custodian who uh, was Vanessa's love interest for like half of the season. And I've always like was fascinated by that name. And I thought it was the funniest name in the world. So I've adapted it across my social media. Um, and so, yeah. So again, follow, please feel free to follow. Um, I am a form believer that, uh, that you can be professional without being formal. So if you happen to see any uh, curses or anything of that nature, please don't tell my mother because uh, she will ban me back to church. <laughs> Well, thank you, Brandon, for joining in. Thanks, listeners. We'll have links to Brandon, his podcast, and his website in our show notes at www.jcarcamoassociates.com slash drivetime dash marketing. Thank you for joining us on Drive Time Marketing. To leave us a review, visit our website at jcarcamoassociates.com slash drivetime dash marketing. Drive Time Marketing is sponsored by M Partners, practicing the science of why. Why walking through your doors is completely different than walking through your competitor's door. Find out more about M Partners at mpartners.com. Until next time, keep driving towards your goals with great marketing.